Welcome to another episode of Yesterday's Capers. I'm Abdullah Molim and every week I'll bring you the very best shows from the past that the world has to offer. This week we're talking police shows as we look back at the Australian classic Blue Healers and we'll be putting it up against NYPD Blue. Two very good but very different cop shows. And we take a special look at The Bill, the classic British crime procedural show that was on our screens for almost 30 years. And we're going to try and break it all down. So, let's get started. And joining me as ever, it's producer Paul. Hey man, how's it going? I'm alright, thanks. I'm alright, thanks. Um, I'm fully vaccinated now. I got my uh, second jab the other day. Yeah, me too. I f- Do you know what? After my second one, I felt a little bit, a little bit off. Yeah, yeah, I did as well. I didn't feel ill. I didn't no. feel feverish or anything like that. I had like, I had an almost headache, and I, I just didn't feel quite myself for about a day. But you know, I mean, I definitely didn't feel ill. I didn't feel ill enough to take any uh, medication or anything like that. So I was ill enough not to drive to Southend for work on Friday because we had a sort of like a annual staff meeting not annual but like tri-monthly sort of staff meeting and i just i was it was one of those things where i didn't know whether to turn the heating on or to crack open every window in the house i didn't feel as bad as that but i mean i probably would have been too ill for work should it you know if if, if i hadn't been on a weekend i would have been like oh i don't know but i mean after a few days now i'm i am 100 percent now i am right as rain feel much better for taking the vaccine and obviously fortuitously we ended up with Pfizer anyway because we were saying oh we want Pfizer we want Pfizer. it just it just fell on our laps really it did you know what I do have one small niggle though it's you know all these young people are getting like incentives to have the jab I want incentives I know I want, right I want a mind you know like you know a free meal or a free taxi I've got, I've ride. got my right arm Inject me with Moderna. Yeah, exactly. I'll, 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 I'll have pizza. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What if it's not that good incentive anyway? Was it food and taxi? No, but I tell you who has is getting better incentives is the Americans. There was like I heard of a few different things, and uh, hopefully the American listener will be able to correct me if I'm wrong. But there was like one of them was like a hundred dollars straight up for taking a jab. One of them was like an alcohol shot for a shot of jab. Another one was like a gun firearm for. Uh, for, for a jab, I mean, all of these things, apart obviously not the alcohol, but, but then, I mean... The, you know they should be competing for the greatest prize. You get to live if you take the vaccine. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But also, I wouldn't mind living and having $100 in my back pocket. Honestly, it's like, it's crazy because I've had to listen to like so many stories of like friends who've been to Amsterdam and they've talked about all of this stuff that they did and all these drugs they took. But when it comes to this vaccine, oh, oh no, 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 no. Oh, I don't know about I that. I don't yeah. know what these people put in this vaccine. I don't know what they did. Oh, no, no, no. Fool, if you want to take all these different kind of drugs, don't worry what's in the vaccine, fool. Yeah, agree. Don't worry about it. You get to live. That's what's in the vaccine. <laughs> and I ain't some kind of doctor or medical expert or nothing like that. I'm not being paid by some kind of state formative. I'm not being... Bill Gates, Windows, Microsoft chip. I ain't got nothing like that. Honestly, people, take the vaccine. All right? Take the vaccine. That's your public service announcement for the next 
days or weeks or months or whatever. And before we start, I just wanted to say Arthur has oh, come to an I end. I very nearly messaged you about this when I saw After it. After 25 years. Yeah, I think it's time that we, we maybe we need to cover it on that news. But yeah, I mean, I don't know a single person that hasn't watched Arthur and loved it and also been way too old to be watching Arthur. So yeah, I was I was watching Arthur well into my teens. I think well I was I think I was watching Arthur in my twenties. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those, you know what? Hall of Fame career. Hang 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 your gloves up. Standing ovation. Hall of Fame career. Twenty five summers. Arthur was like on top. And it's yeah, it's just I think yeah. After twenty five years, they probably thought, you know what? This is a a good time to to bow out to uh to ride off into the sunset which is nothing more than they deserve this is a brilliant cartoon they were so educational so well done yeah i think arthur was definitely one of those child childhood defining cartoons um it's, yeah, yeah it's one of the biggest cartoons that well it's one of the most popular cartoons that i've i know of even today, including The Simpsons and you know some of the some of the other big ones. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I can't wait till we talk about Arthur, man. This is it might even be worth having an episode in of on its own, really. I think it's I think it's that standalone. Big. Absolutely, yeah. We'll uh, we'll reach that when we get there. But uh, let's talk cops and robbers now. And uh, we're going to kick off with The Bill. And uh, this show first came out in August 1983. There's some of the things happening in the world. Guion Bluford becomes the first African-American in space aboard Space Shuttle Challenger on the STS-8 mission. The first ever World Championships in Athletics are opened in Helsinki, Finland. And after swimming for a total of 15 hours, 27 minutes, 12-year-old Samantha Druce becomes the youngest person to swim the English Channel. Risky Business was in the cinemas. And Gold by Spandau Ballet was in the charts. The Bill now. So this is a British procedural police television series originating from a one-off drama called Wooden Top. It focused on the lives and work of one shift of police officers rather than on any particular aspect of police work. The bill was the longest running police procedural television series in the United Kingdom and among the longest running of any British television series at the time of its cancellation. The title originates from Old Bill, a slang term for the police. It was originally conceived by Jeff McQueen in 1983, then a new television writer as a one-off drama McQueen had originally titled the production Old Bill. It was picked up by Michael Chapman for ITV franchise holder Thames Television, who retitled it Wooden Top as part of Thames' storyboard series of one-off dramas and broadcast on ITV under the title Wooden Top. And yeah, it's basically a, a, a one-off play in different themes. And I'm guessing a, a police version was called Wooden Top. Wooden Top has an unusual place in the history of the bill due to the original premise of this being a one-off play. After broadcast, Thames commissioned a full series to be shown the following year under the name The Bill, as the show had the potential to appeal to a mass audience. Although The Bill is clearly a continuation from this episode, the main series contradicts it in a number of ways. 
and it is set around Sun Hill Police Station in the fictional Canley Borough Operational Command Unit in East London. Jeff McQueen, creator of the bill, claimed that he named Sun Hill after a street name in his hometown of Royston, Hertfordshire. And the borough of Canley is approximately contiguous to real-life London borough of Tower Hamlets. When the bill started, the majority of the police federation were opposed to the programme, claiming that it portrayed the police as a racist organisation. The feeling towards the programme later mellowed to the extent that in 2006, exec producer Jonathan Young met Saria Blair, then commissioner of the Met, and it was decided that the editorial relationship between the police and the programme was sufficient. However, Young stressed that the bill is not editorially bound to the police. And although highly acclaimed by fans and critics, the series attracted controversy on several occasions. An episode broadcast in 2008 was criticised for featuring fictional treatment for multiple sclerosis. The show had also faced more general criticism concerning its level of violence, particularly prior to 2009 when it occupied a pre-watershed slot. If you don't know, the watershed, I believe, is nine o'clock and over. And that's just basically after the watershed, it's all systems go in terms of what you can say and what you can do. The bill won several awards, including a BAFTAs, a Writers Guild of Great Britain Award and Best Drama at the Inside Soap Awards. And I'm sure they won um, other other awards as well and Royal Television Society and, and all of those things. Obviously, I'm not going to go through 27 years of, of, of characters. So I'm just going to pick out a couple and uh, let's see if we can uh, remember them. I think I remembered pretty much all of the ones that I've got down. So I'm going to start off with uh, Detective Sergeant Don Beach. Woo-wee! This guy. Woo! He was as corrupt as the day is long. And uh, I just remember the John, the Don Beach scandals. This was like a series of episodes where he just went further and further down the rabbit hole of corruption. And he ended up killing his fellow DS, John Bolton. I remember that episode still to this day. Sergeant Matt Boyden. By the way, it was played by Billy Murray. And he also was in EastEnders as Johnny Allen. Do you remember him as Don Beach or Johnny Allen? Johnny Allen, primarily. Okay. So, yeah, Sergeant Matt Boyden, played by Tony O'Callaghan. And he had a sticky end as he was shot dead by his daughter's boyfriend. So she could profit from insurance money to to fund her drug habit. DCI or DI, Frank Burnside. And he was a, a classic character who was very, very unpopular with uh, people in Sun Hill and villains indeed. There's PC and then later DC Jim Carver. And uh, I think he was there from day one. And he uh, was a, a budding police constable, very young, very wide open. And then I think as the later years went on, he... It was the first time I saw alcoholism on TV and it was this guy where like I was young and I didn't know anything about people having drink problems. And obviously this guy was just drinking from a flask at every opportunity he could get, gets involved with uh, gambling and gets caught up with all of that. And he has, and he left Sun Hill and he actually married June, who I'll talk about in a little bit. And then there's Sergeant Bob Cryer, 
And he was a character that left after being injured. DC Tosh Lines, who was played by Kevin Lloyd. And uh, it was actually quite tragic because uh, he was written out after accepting a position at the coroner's office. And he was sacked for turning up to work late. And I think he was found dead in his hotel room in real life. PC Reg Hollis. Now, uh, he was there, I think, since day one as well. And I believe his name was mentioned in Wooden Top, but he wasn't—he didn't make an appearance. Um, in real life, when the character was written out, he tried to attempt suicide by slashing his wrists. And because obviously he was like, the bill was my life. Yeah. And his character got written out just like that. And it was a... But obviously he, he was okay. And I believe he is, he is alive and well today pc and then later sergeant june auckland she was there yeah since day one and she actually holds the world record for the longest time an actor has portrayed a police character solid accolade 24 years i believe from 1983 to 2007 and yeah she had a on-screen yeah on-screen relationship with dc jim carver it came to an abrupt end because i don't think he had he had all these gambling debts and he got caught up and and things of that nature now that link i sent you did it mean anything to you larue yeah yeah oh so you know larue and bulletproof and yeah yeah well i know bulletproof i don't sure if i know any other songs by larue but yeah in for the kills another classic song of theirs and but obviously i think bulletproof was the one for me i think yeah. bulletproof was out when i was at university so it was like played to death everywhere yeah and that's her daughter wow i see i had no idea that's incredible that is her daughter that's like my favorite like fact and whatever and <laughs> you would have thought cause, yeah. i mean i assumed probably like many other people that she was american it's very synth pop isn't it so uh you can see she takes her influence from like sort of the 80s and, and things of that nature and yeah larue very very good act I think that album was 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 pretty damn good. So uh, big ups to uh, L, L L Jackson, I think it is, or Ellie Jackson. Uh, your name L Ellie Ellie Jackson. Do, truly good win. Brilliant family. And uh, last but not least, PC, and then later Sergeant and Inspector Dale Smith or Smithy. Smithy. You don't remember yeah. Smithy? Yeah. Uh, who doesn't? And Mickey as well. And of course. Eddie Santini. And Polly. Surely Polly's got to be in Polly, yeah. Paul and Dave. Yeah. I know I know Dave was married and then he cheated on his wife with Polly. That was another scandalous storyline and whatnot. But yeah, Ed, Eddie Santini was probably the one character that I remember the most in um, in the bill. And Michael Higgs. Shout out to Michael Higgs. Great actor. He was obviously Eddie Santini was a villain in every sense of the word. I mean, apart from Reg, are there any other characters that spring to mind for you? Well, apart from the ones you listed, off the yeah, off the off the dome. No, I mean the main ones for me were I think like Polly, uh, Reg Hollis was like my favorite character. So uh, yeah, he was he was full of stories and yeah, he was Red 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 was Red was hilarious. Right, talk about the bill. Let's talk about this show. The bill was an institution. I I, I don't really know what else to say about it. It's like 
just was this banging theme tune. The theme tune was so iconic. What I liked is, I guess, like, you know, it's the same as, like, um, Casualty theme tune and stuff like that, where it plays on the siren. And, yeah, it's it's, it's huge, huge theme tune. It, I, I was watching this as a kid uh, with, the, you know, back in the day where you'd sit down with your family and have your dinner and watch um watch the bill so yeah i mean this was huge like i'm, I'm actually looking forward because I, I you know i watched a couple of episodes but i'm looking forward to you talking me through all of the um all of the major iconic moments of this show uh for sure there's way too much to watch in a week um oh yeah you, you know so um because originally it was um 20 not 20 minutes but like it was a it was a 30 minute scheduled show and that's obviously including adverts commercials whatever and then they went to our specials. And my guess is, because obviously when I look at like the series, it was like one series would have like 80 episodes, 90 episodes. So I'm guessing this used to come on every day or at least every other day minimum. Because how are you going to fit all of this on the, uh, on the schedule? This one was like, because uh, they rebooted this as well. I didn't watch any of the reboots, but they made it like, uh, I don't know when it was, but it was like kind of, I'd say mid 2000s, they rebooted it and made it kind of like more dark and edgy. Uh, but I never really watched any of those. Because the show was on air until 2010. So I don't know if they did something in the middle of the 2000s or thought, right. I think it was around, it was, it was after, so I think what that HD turn on was about what, 2000, 2001, 2-ish. And I think it was just after that when, you know, kind of when HD was more mainstream. Because obviously this came... Was it mainstream in 2002? Um, when, did, when did the BBC go HD, right? I would have said like... Two, I would have said late 2000s, early 2010s. No, okay. okay. So uh, launched. BBC HD launched. So this has probably coincided with the launch of uh, thingy. It was 2006. 15 years ago, HD was a thing. Because obviously, like you and I, we you know uh, probably less so of some of the some of the younger audience here, but we were watching TV on a square, massive box thing. You know, we're not we're probably not going as far back as black and white, but and then widescreen was a thing, was still with a huge thing, and then flat screens came in, and then HD was launched, and then you know Freeview HD. I remember that one because everyone had HD back in those days then. So yeah, I mean, when I talk about my episode, it's going to be like iconic moments from the nineties. Because that was, for me, when the bill was at its absolute peak. This is when it was, it had the nation gripped. These storylines had the nation guessing, turning, I don't know where we're going with this story and, and, and things of that nature. Breaking news. Oh, hello. It's not breaking news, it's back in April. But uh, the bill reboot confirmed to be in development in 2021. That's what I saw about the bill, that it was um, being... Uh developed and it was being um brought back for 2021 i think they're calling it sun hill nice i mean that'd be interesting but yeah anyway as i as i as i as i was saying um i did manage to watch one from the 80s which was obviously the very first episode but i i'm i'm not i'm not sure about um how good the bill was in the 80s and if there was any particular storyline i think i'm guessing with burnside there was some stuff happening with him because obviously he was very, very unpopular. And I could tell that from the very first episode. People didn't really like him. But yeah, for me, like, it's like you said, we watched the bill as a family. We all sat down. We all watched it. Some of these stories, I, I was watching it back and 
I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah, I mean, one thing about the bill is that I can see why all of those, uh, I, don't, I can't remember the English ones' names, but like um, CSI and what's the English ones with like, uh, I know who, who the characters are in them, um, but you know, the ones that really show the crime scene and how they solve the crimes. Uh, because I think that um, the bill it w- was was more about the drama, right? It wasn't about the solving the crime so much. As obviously, you saw the crimes being solved, but it was like, oh look, we've got this evidence, and now, but you don't see how you know the intricate details and how they they solve. The well, they're crime. police officers, aren't they? All of that intricate stuff is more for like CID, more no, exactly, no, exactly. So that's what I'm talking about. But I think this paved the way for those ones where people saw, I wonder how they did that. Wonder how they did that. So, you know, maybe yeah, paved the way for the more detailed shows. Yeah. This is basically the, the police on the beat stopping petty criminals and, and, and things of that nature. But yeah, this was something that we would be in front of the TV screens gripped. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And obviously for me, like the, the, the three that like kind of stand out for me was obviously the the Eddie Santini story and his downfall. Then there was Don Beach, who's corrupt as the day is long, and he gets into it. And then I think there was one with um Cass Rickman, who was like a scouse police officer, and she gets caught up in uh, a serial killer. And she ends up getting killed. I think that might have been the very last storyline that I remember watching. And then I think in the 2000s, it totally fell off. Because he had the absolute highs. And I think it's natural. I think if you're coming out the gate really, really hot, then eventually you're going to fall off. And yeah, the bill in the 2000s, it fell off. It really fell off. And they did well to make it to all the way to 2010 because i thought you know what after the 90s after the to be honest after the high of the eddie santini storyline because they were showing like movies every day movies it'd be like hour and a half episodes every day i remember the trial of eddie santini's i think two hours like i was i was trying to watch these episodes but i just was one of those things where i had to like skip had to do a little bit of cheating just like I can't be sitting down watching movies. This was because yeah, it got to the point where we we we're gonna show you movies, 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 movies on your head top, movies on your head top. And back then in the night, it was awesome. Loved it. We used to love it every day. It'd be like an hour special of the bill. We're like, oh my god, there's an hour special of the bill, and it'd be the thing that we'd be looking forward to the most for the whole day. We'd be looking forward to this the whole day. It was weird because. I totally forgot about Eddie Santini and what kind of guy he was. And because obviously the first episode he comes in, he's like this suave guy. Everybody, oh, he's Santini. He's Italian, slick. And then I remember Rosie, or as he used to say, Rosebud. And that was just like, okay, this guy's a wrong one. And one of these days, I hope he gets what's coming to him. And yeah, right. Speaking of that, let's uh, 
let's dive right into episodes and what we watched right okay so i watched wooden top so this was the kind of the storyboard and the first kind of like idea for the bill and probably the episode that got it it's green light for a series so it's 4 45 in the morning pc john carver's waking up to start off his first day at work and carver arrives at the station he's meeting the sergeant i believe his name was jack and obviously he's doing a roundup of what's happening school holidays are about to start i wanted to ask is it bright early at 4 45 in the morning like bright and early 4 45 yeah in the summer it is yeah i mean i was just i was just thinking yeah it was, it was like as as, as like you you thought it was 7 45 yeah when he was waking up was that 4 45 Sky looked like it's 7.45, but yeah. And yeah, he's, um, the sergeant's obviously doing the, the roundup of what's going on and what needs to be sorted out. There's a spate of robberies. School holidays are about to begin, but obviously the sergeant is like, okay, you're going to bump into a lot of kids. I want you to be firm, but I want you to be friendly. The law comes first, then it's fair play second. Then he's, then Carver has to go meet the inspector. And obviously the inspector's like, okay, Carver, what do you want to do? What's your, what's your plan? What's your, what, what do you want to do with your life? And so Carver's like, I just want to be a uniformed police officer. I want to help people and traditional policing. And so the inspector's like, don't you want to be CID? Aren't you ambitious? And obviously Carver's like, uh, not really. I, 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 I'm, I'm old school. I want to be a police officer. I want to serve, protect and serve and, 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 and whatnot. And obviously he's like, yeah, once you, once you go out there on the streets, he was like, you're going to change your mind. Trust me. And June is there and she has to go on the beat with Carver together. And they have to go and meet someone called George. And he's like the local hard man. And they've got to try and reason with, with, with George. Then they stop a, a young black kid on a bike because he was riding on the pavement. And obviously June is thinking, hmm. He might know about the robberies because he's a paper boy. And obviously the paper boy knows if houses are empty or not. There's a lady and she's telling Carver and June about an old lady, Mrs. Dunn. She hadn't been seen in a while. So they go to her house and obviously the house absolutely smells. Not very good news. And she ends up being found dead in a bathtub. And you can see like her body being like it's decomposing. And obviously Carver's like on his first day and he's like, like, what the hell is this? And June is obviously shaken up by it as well. But obviously the sergeant's like, okay, you know, don't worry about it. Whatever. And, and Dave and Jim are talking in the kitchen about the job. And obviously Dave's like, yeah, I've been here for a couple of years and, and whatnot. And then obviously the CID is like, yeah, the paperboy theory is like, nah, nah, that, that, that don't, that, that's not going to wash up with me. So Dave and Jim are out on the beat and they spot like these two kids who are like in the area and obviously they try and catch the kids and Jim is like trying to do old school policing going, you know what, click around the ear, go and get yourself home, lad. And obviously you're not really allowed to do that anymore in these days. And so what was the name of the kid? Reggie. That's it. And he's, and then obviously Sergeant finds out about this and he's like, what the hell are you doing? It's not how you're meant to be policed. You know how you're meant to do policing. 
and so the sergeant is talking to uh, Inspector Galloway, I think it is, and obviously he doesn't like Inspector Galloway. So he's like, look, the person that uh, Jim clipped around the ear was uh, Reggie's father. Reggie's, like, he's, he's, his father is George, like the local hard man. And obviously they're like, what the hell are we going to do? Like, we clipped his son around the ear. And so it's up to, um, I think, yeah, Sergeant Jack, he's talking to George. And obviously he's like, what's happening with my son? And obviously he's like, well, we caught them up to no good and just basically hanging around. And obviously he's like, so what did you guys do? And then obviously they told him what Jim did. And obviously he goes, okay, no problem. If you did that, if you gave him a clip around the ear and, and, and you know, told him on his bike. And then obviously he's like, okay, that's a big favor sorted. And then the inspector and Jack, it ends with them having a drink and they're talking about the good old days. And that's how that episode ended. Now, if I'm being brutally honest, if I was a, if I was in charge of green lighting TV shows, I'm not sure I would have green lit the bill based on wooden top. But then obviously I, I mean, would be terrible because obviously the bill developed into this incredible institution. But I don't know. I think wooden top was was a bit slow for me. It wasn't. It didn't capture me very quickly and. Yeah, I don't know. But may, ma- imagine if that's what it was with a low budget and, and you know, minimal resources. Maybe they were like, yeah, but, you know, what could we do with four or five times the budget and, you know, and all of the resources? This was meant to be like a, essentially a play, storyboard, play, whatever. They have showed these little things. And obviously, I don't, I don't know, maybe there wasn't like a, a show like The Bill. So I just probably thought, you know what? Oh, go on then. Let's 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 run with it. See how it goes. We'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll green light uh, uh, episode one and a series, and then let's get on with it. And then obviously it went on to episode one, which was called "Funny Old Business Cops and Robbers." Right. Okay. So it starts off with a person. I think he was epileptic, and he gets taken to hospital after spending a night in the cell. The other police officers are talking about a potential national front march. And June is nervous about it because nothing ever good comes out of National Front and marches. Obviously, I think people of a certain age, minority background, will know all about National Front marches and not going outside. And those well, things going don't down. the National Front still march on Armistice Day? I have no idea if they do that or not. I'm sure. I'm sure they still have a march, um, like a protest march or whatever it is, 11th of um, November. I don't know, whatever. But yeah, they 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 were a thing in the 80s i think even in the 90s as well they were still very much a, a thing and so yeah they're talking about again the, you know the sergeant's talking about what they need to do for the day and so they're talking about pickpocketers so with pickpocketers there's always three people there's the pusher there's the catcher and there's the dipper i couldn't remember what each one does but obviously they're a tandem they all work together and they basically end up with your things. That's how it ends. And they're on the loose. Obviously, the, again, the rule is no overzealous policing. And Inspector Galloway is here to deliver a speech about a potential breaking that he's investigating. So he's asking everybody, okay, everybody, what is an MO? Motive. But the Latin. Motive orocularis. I don't know. I made that up. I have no idea. You don't know modus operandi? No. You've never heard of modus operandi for MO? No. Really? 
Yeah, I knew, I knew, you know, I knew Motive was Mo, but I didn't know. Um, what did you say, Motive Operandi? Motive Operandi. Yeah, Motive Operandi Operandi. How do you not know that? I mean, I just never come across it. I do know a little bit of Latin. How do you like... not come across that? Because I've just heard it as Mo my whole life and not questioned it. <laughs> You've never heard anybody say, "Oh, this is he's Modus Operandi or Operandi D or Die." I don't know. And obviously, the Welsh police officer was like, "Oh, is it a medical orderly?" And everyone's all giggling about it. And he's like, "No, it's Modus Operandi, Operandi, whatever." I might not even be saying it right, but at least I know Modus Operandi. Yes, yes, Mo. That's what. Oh, that's what his Mo was. That's what he's. Yeah, it looks like Modus Operandi because it's. Uh... The way that Latin gets read, right? Yep. And obviously there's a Welsh police officer. They all call him Taff or Taffy. I'm not sure if I'm actually allowed to say that, but I'm going to say it. If obviously, if I upset Welsh listeners, then uh, I'm very, very sorry. It's risky and, uh... and he's gone for it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and so uh, Taff and Jim are on the beat. They go to a cafe where they get like free breakfast. Then they get called on the job. So they're basically catching the bad guy and he's outside the cafe and Carol, the uh, she's uh, the, the waitress and her food gets spilled because obviously Carver crashes onto the bins and onto the door and they're all like covered in food or whatever. Then uh, Dave and Trevor bump into an old lady who's been burgled. Now, yeah, again, this is the thing I learned about media law. I learned the difference between being robbed and being burgled. And it's all basically depending on if you're inside the house when it happens. If you're not inside the house, you've been burgled. And if you're inside the house, you got robbed. If you if you do enter a house when someone else is in there, it's like straight up prison. But that's, yeah. And, and again, it decides it's the difference between whether you're going to Crown Court or Magistrates Court. Obviously, if it's a burglary, like you nicked a few things, then yeah, you might have a day in a Magistrates Court. But then obviously, if you're robbing someone inside a house then obviously you get taken to if your crack case gets court. adjourned to a crown court you're in serious trouble yeah yeah crack yeah crack yeah again that's what i learned as well i think it's over one crack. year right so anything up to one year you can be sentenced in a magistrate's court anything over one year i think it depends on the nature of the crime as well so like obviously murder rape yeah that anything with a sentence anything with a sentence over one year would go to would get would go to a magistrate's and then adjourn to a crown right and then uh, ma- magistrate's court would be um, like rob, like burglary, maybe like ABH. Yeah, fi- like, something like fray. That. Yeah, things like that will get taken to magistrates. And again, this is what I again learned in the court reporting and media law. And so, yeah, old lady's been robbed, and it could be linked to the inspector's case. There's a, a double glazing firm and he's talking to Mr. He's Mr. Langley and he's talking to Inspector Galloway. And so he's obviously talking and he's basically like, okay, look, right. Your people like the double glazing firm might be responsible for the rob for my robbery. And basically he wants to arrest them. Dave and Trevor are there at the scene and they're dusty for prints. And one thing I noticed was that kids don't say Mr. to you anymore. Because obviously there was a little kid there going, Mr. Mr. What are you doing? What are you doing? And even when the guy was being stopped, he was like, yes, miss, to the police officer. Like, you don't, you don't get kids with manners like that anymore. 
Your, people don't say sir, madam, mister, missus anymore. I try to say sir and madam. Maybe, yeah, probably sir more than madam. But Be like, oh, yes, ma'am, or yes, miss. But yeah, people don't do that anymore. And so, and then, and then Tommy Burnside, he's here to see the inspector. And so he wants a favor because obviously he's like, there's a, a, I think there's a person who's been uh, arrested. I think um, Carver arrests somebody. And so Burnside is basically like, yeah, I don't really want you to arrest him because then obviously it's my guy. He's on my beat kind of thing. And obviously I want I want this win for myself. And then obviously I will be in your favor or whatever. And obviously the inspector's like, all right, fine. But yeah, just know that you owe me. And so all the PCs are out to flush out the pickpockets because they get a tip off from someone that they might be in a busy, crowded market. And so the the person who was arrested, his name was Lenny, and he's basically some like jobber or whatever. And then obviously he's taking the mick out of everybody, and he's like, "I want to speak to an inspector or a DI or someone higher." And then there's a guy who made a citizen's arrest, and it happened to be one of the pickpockets. So obviously he tried to pickpocket someone. He tried to pickpocket the man, but the the pickpocket himself gets hurt. Because obviously the guy had like this um, inside his jacket. He had like this like sort of like a, a blade kind of thing. Mouse trap. Not a mouse trap, but it was like something that he said that he picked up when he was in Hong Kong. So it's like these sort of blade things that's inside his pockets. So obviously, if you try to take it, then you're going to hurt yourself. And so the guy who had epilepsy, I believe he dies because I think the police doctor John made a wrong diagnosis and Burnside manages to get Lenny out and obviously he's like to Lenny you're gonna glam me right in it you idiot and obviously Lenny's like oh thank you so much you got me out of a jam and whatever and so he's just probably going like don't get into any kind of trouble you better stay out of trouble and so the inspector has to tell Carver about his arrest not counting and obviously Carver's like what why and obviously he's like yes it's the game and this is how we play the game. And obviously he's like, this is some weapons grade BS, man. And obviously Burnside is going, I don't like to eat humble pie. I don't like these police officers in my favor. And then it just basically ends with everybody just like looking at Burnside going, yeah, I don't like this guy. One of these days he's going to get gut. And he's obviously just driving off cheeky chappy giving a wink and yeah that was the episode i watched and then obviously the the next sort of episodes i watched were the ones from the 90s right so i can't remember the episode of this one but it was the first one available on sky that's all i can tell you so uh definitely 90s Uh, i think this was 90 i can't remember 90 something first thing i wrote was uh, amazing theme obviously uh it brings you straight back so george and polly interview viewing interviewing a woman called Irene about a prowler. Um, and this is Jane from EastEnders. Uh, if you're familiar with the, with the cast of EastEnders. Jane. Uh, Jane, yeah. Ian's wife. Oh. Yeah, so uh, obviously because uh, uh, I, I don't I want to like, you know. So many people from the bill went on to EastEnders. So obviously Jane is like one of the biggest actresses in EastEnders. Like she played a good few years part of, uh, of her character i'm not sure if she's still going or if she's not still going or anyway she was great so 
Uh, man is watching her from. So it turns out that this is a uh, man's watching her from a car, and she knows the car edge, and so they go and check it out, right? The the the, the guy's name is Kenneth Grant. The police go to his door, um, and he says, "Oh yeah, I'm just looking to buy a house there." And Polly's suspicious because basically the place he's he place he lives in is really nice, and the place he's looking at buying a house in is not so nice. So um, George doesn't think it's so. Basically, kind of Polly thinks suspicious, but George doesn't think it's suspicious. Please tell Irene's husband about what's going on and and husband knows something about the guys but you kind of don't know yet so they take the guy in uh he was looking for irene's husband uh turns out that what happened was irene's husband killed mr grant's son in a fight and then after the, and then his and then uh, his wife died after that of cancer so he, he's kind of just like honest kind of mad guy on a vendetta kind of thing and he went he basically was turning up at their house so that they would always see him so that he would never, so that he, we're not going to let him forget. So because basically he got out of prison earlier than he wanted. So he just doesn't want him to forget that. Uh, the police go to see Irene, Irene again. And Colin says that you should arrest him, her husband. Uh, police can't arrest him because he's, you know, he's done nothing wrong apart from just kind of stay there. And George doesn't like him because he should have, uh, George, the police officer doesn't think, he, he doesn't like him because he should have done life for what he did. He remembers the case. The police get called to a disturbance outside of school and Irene sees has seen Kenneth there and he, she's basically gone crazy and starts smashing up his car says stop kind of harassing us. Uh, police are trying to keep him impartial the whole thing. Uh, Irene calls the police because of trouble uh, and, and Kenneth has sprayed graffiti all over the house to antagonise Colin. Colin went to deal with it and he's actually beaten up Kenneth and Tony... Uh, Tony arrives in the police officer and Kenneth has got like a bar or something like that. But anyway, Tony wins and uh, uh, Colin gets arrested. Grant is fine, but he says, um, but uh, and he's like, you know, I hope you go to prison for a long time now. Uh, and then Irons, because he says like, you know, I've got revenge for my family. And then Irons like, you know, kind of what about our family though? You've torn our family apart. Anyway, that's the end of, the end of that episode. Series four, series 14 and episode something or else. This is uh, an East End gangster episode, two-parter, but I only watched one episode, and I have to say, this episode was fantastic. So, the theme tune had had a reboot by this point, but the, but the filming was um, was mostly the same. Uh, oh, it was called Sins of a Father, that was the name of the episode. Um, so, Smithy finds an old bloke who's been mugged, um, and he can't stand the police. He's doing this uh, East End gangster kind of acting, but it was, it was good nonetheless. Um, his name is Johnny Jackson. He's an old East End gangster. Smithy goes to speak to him, but he won't speak to the police because he somehow got stitched up by the police uh, and did a bit of bird, as they say. Maybe they don't. Maybe they do. Um, his grandson comes in, uh, and it, and it's his name is Johnny. He has a go at him, uh, then shops him in for dealing drugs, um, and turns out he's working for a man called Andreas Aldra. Uh, the police investigating this. So police go to Johnny's house, and Jacko... Oh, sorry. His, his, his grandson's name's Jacko, not Johnny. Uh, his name's Johnny, the, the, the East End gangster. Please go to Johnny's house. Jacko and him are having a row. Smithy tries to connect with him. J uh, Johnny's going senile, but basically they think he's pretending. Please find a guy who 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 beat him up. So this is what I was talking about. So they got the evidence and they got the things back from like from like the the crime crime scenes and stuff like that. So you don't see that, but it happens. And Jacko and the, uh, this bloke. Uh, live together the marty baxter the guy that beat up johnny uh, and he wanted apparently this guy wanted to teach johnny a lesson smithy is smashing it and links some bad so basically they nearly can the investigation but smithy has all of the uh, information they need to 
carry on. They go and visit Johnny, and then they get pointed to a to a strip club. The uh, basically, it turns out in there's a prostitute racket and kind of like uh, uh, human trafficking going here. Jacko got sent away when Johnny got sent to prison. They arrest a prostitute who is Jacko's girlfriend. And she tells him that Jacko's a good guy and that Hutton, the guy that runs the whole thing, is uh, is a baddie. And it turns out that Johnny went down for Hutton. And in a, in a, in a bizarre twist, Johnny was actually Hutton's father. Um, and he doesn't... Um, and, and Hutton is jealous of Jacko because Jacko was taken in as a legitimate child and, and Hutton wasn't because he's illegitimate um, son out of wedlock, a love child of Johnny and uh his mum um so the police are talking to jacko and he needs to prove that he's not the main guy so police basically get him to roll on on um on hutton then hutton gets arrested but then they they they, the police get called to a crime scene and the end of part one jacko has been murdered or probably for telling stories on the bad guys anyway yeah those are two episodes of watching the other one was um i didn't write notes on it but it was basically the one where old i get shot in the chest uh, there's a, a man with yeah. So I'm not going to do characters' names because I can't remember them. But basically, there's a guy that kind of goes um, goes a bit crazy, taking hostage um, some people in a school. Uh, meanwhile, um, so uh, Smithy has been um, training for a long time to get into. Um, I want to say I'm sure it's SO15. So he's been like this firearm squad, and he's been training for a long time, and he wants you know been really pushing for his shot. Anyway, he gets deployed on this guy taking hostages of um, uh, in, inside a school. And him and a, and, and a, and a, f- a fellow female officer have uh, eyes on the target. And the, the, the people running the, the mission say, don't fire because we, um, we want this to be resolved kind of peacefully. Uh, anyway, Bob Cryer is in, with, in the school with the hostages and um, is kind of like hostage himself. It almost gets resolved. So basically, as they come out, the school and everything's about to get resolved. He goes crazy again, and there's a bit of a scuffle between Cryer and um, the hostage taker. And um, Smithy pulls the trigger, thinking he's got 100% target, and um, shoots old Bob Cryer. And I think that this was like the um, this is what caused he survives, but he he does he leaves the police after this moment. So uh, yeah, that was a that was the last episode I ever remember watching of the Bill, and. It was cool because it had guns and, and stuff in it. <laughs> right, let me talk about Eddie Santini now. Man, oh man, oh man, what a character he was. If you had like a top 10 like villains of all time, British villains, Eddie Santini would be right up there. He made his debut in Series 14, Episode 12, Storyboards. And so it starts off with everyone, they're talking about a newcomer. And he's got a bit of a reputation. And obviously all don't know his name, so that is it is it is it Sanini Sabini Santini, whatever. And so he walks into the building and he's being introduced to the whole team. And obviously one of the guys is making like Italian jokes. And so Eddie's like, you know what? Okay, fine. You all want to do your little Italian jokes. Go ahead. I don't mind. And Dave has to be the one to show him around the place. There's basically an inspector. He's talking to a grass, but because of a lack of evidence, he has to kind of like he's talking. Yeah, so he's basically talking to a grass because they had someone locked up, and they're like, yeah, basically where we had to let the guy go because your evidence wasn't good enough. Not what you know. 
It's what you can prove. And so he's like, you know what? I'm not intimidated. But he's like, you know what? I'm not going to give evidence in court because it's like, I'm not going to... Yeah, I'm not going to do that. He goes, he goes, anybody can be a... get caught up by the police. But he goes, in terms of giving evidence in court, he goes, that's like a, a death warrant. And so Reg is talking to Deborah, and they're basically gossiping about Eddie. And so Reg is like, yeah, I'm questioning his moral fiber. He doesn't have love for uniform. He's untrustworthy. And so obviously the rumor was like Eddie wanted to be a CID, but then obviously he tried to cheat his way to the top and people think he's untrustworthy. Eddie and Dave are out on the beat together. And they, they, they basically stopped these two youths because they were like smashing windows. Eddie catches one of them and it happens to be... And he goes to the house of the smash window and it happens to be the window of the grass. They're back in the station. Eddie's buying everyone snacks. He's like, you know what? It's all on me, guys. I'm the new guy. Let me pay for all your snacks. And everyone's going, oh, well, I have chocolate biscuits. Oh, well, I have this. Oh, well, I have this. Oh, well, I have this, whatever. And so they're all talking about Eddie. And so Reg is like, you know what? I don't think he's Italian. I think he's Greek. I think it might be Santorini. Because obviously he said, I've been to Santorini. And then they're all like, oh, you idiot. And obviously he's talking about his time in Santorini and then obviously everyone's like oh Reg you lovable goof Eddie's talking and flirting to Deborah and everyone's all looking at him going oh he's moved very quickly hasn't he and obviously Eddie's asking Dave if Deborah is single Reg and Deborah are on the beat and they bump into the guy who's the grass and he's got a baseball bat with him and obviously they're like what are you doing with a baseball bat and he's like I'm off to play baseball okay then so where's the ball and he happens to have like a baseball with him as well. And so Dave is asking Eddie about his reputation. And then that's when he goes, okay, tell me the story. Is it true what people are saying? And then obviously Eddie's goes, some of it's true. Some of it it's not. And obviously Eddie's like, okay, what's people been saying about me? And so Eddie talks about his time and he's saying, look, it is true. I did want to move up and, and, and get away from uniform. And obviously he goes, what I had to do was come up with a thing called a storyboard. And so what you have to do is you have to get like your best cases and you have to make it into a storyboard. So obviously media guys will know all about storyboards. And so you have to like get like, I think 10 pieces. So you have to like say what you did in a, a case, how you got the arrests, how you did your investigation, everything, motive, blah, blah, blah. You have to do all of that. And apparently they didn't like what he did. And so they says, you know what? We're going to leave you in uniform. And I like how he goes, CID are bananas. They're bent, yellow, and they hang around in bunches. That's a great line there from uh, Santini. That's, yeah, that's a top line, that is. And then there's a big fight pe- taking place. Everyone's all there with the baseball bats. They all make arrests. And Dave, and then obviously uh, Cryer's asking Dave, okay, what happened? And then obviously Dave was like, I arrested this guy because he had this lump of wood. And Eddie Santini backs him up. They're all at the pub. Eddie's paying for all the drinks. And obviously Dave's like, yeah, thanks for backing me up, mate. And I think them two become best friends. Now this is where it gets interesting. If, if that episode weren't interesting enough, then it's deep end. And so there's a new officer starting. Her name is Rosie Fox. And so Eddie and Dave are driving. They see someone in a bike. And so Eddie's trying to be cheeky. 
So he basically stops his car. He opens the door. Absolutely collides into Rosie as she falls off the bike. And obviously Rosie's like, who the hell do you think you are? I'm a police officer, you know. And then he's like, yeah, well, so am I. And then that's how those two meet. And that's how it got off on a bad note from day one. Then the episode starts with the credits. They find a body by the Shadwell Bridge, by the Thames. And it's right by the kind of newly built O2 Arena. Or at the time, it was known as the Millennium Dome. Oh, bless the Millennium Dome. Given into corporate greed. And so Eddie has to show the new girl around. Rosie, but he keeps on calling her Rosebud. I know she's like, yeah, don't call me that. But he doesn't he doesn't listen to her anyway. He just keeps calling her Rosebud. And so Eddie and Rose are attending to a complaint together. And obviously Eddie's just basically undermining her at every turn. And so he's like, oh, so basically the complaint was a guy was arrested for manslaughter and he's been released. And the guy father who was killed he keeps harassing this guy like he's like you're a murderer you're a scum and obviously the guy's like i've served my time i've done my time leave me alone i'm trying to get on with my life he goes you're a murderer you always have been you always will be and obviously eddie feels sympathy for this man and obviously rose is like to eddie well he served his time well he's like well you know me like i i believe in the death penalty and whatnot and obviously rosebud's like Rosebud, why am I calling her Rosebud? Rosie is like, well, it didn't work for America. And obviously he goes, oh, well, the septic tanks think a lot different to us. And she's like, what? It's Cockney rhyme slang for yank, septic tank. <laughs> I didn't get that. <laughs> uh, well, to be honest, I didn't either. I'm like, what? Septic tank? I've never heard that. And then obviously yeah, it's Mr. Piper and he, that's the name of the old guy. And he goes to Mr. Cookson and he's attacking him again. And obviously, Rosie's like, maybe you should leave. And obviously, he goes, this is my hometown, Sun Hill. I've got a job here. And obviously, the, the, the employer's like, I like him. I want him to keep his job. And so, meanwhile, some, one of the police officers knocks on Mr. Cookson's door. And they tell him, look, you need to move your van. And so, Eddie goes up to him, knocks on his window, roll up the window, doing the roll-up sign. You need to do a breathalyzer test. And he's like, what? Why? And obviously, he goes, do a breathalyzer test. And obviously, he's like, one of your police officers told me to move the van. He goes, I don't care. Breathalyzer. So they're basically setting this guy up. And then Rosie is furious about this. She's like, why the hell are you setting him up? And obviously, Eddie's like, you got too much lip, girl. Like, you, you're, you're getting on my Swede. Basically, Ed, and then one of the um, higher-ups is like, right, Eddie, to Rosie. He's, she's like to Rosie. I need you on this undercover case. We need to crack this case wide open and we need you on the case and we need Eddie on the case. And so Rosie's like, oh, do I have to work with him? And then obviously they're like, yeah, you go work with him. So they both have to go undercover. She has to be a prostitute and he has to be the ex-boyfriend. Basically, Eddie and Rosie, they start to get to know each other. They start working together. They like each other. Long story short, because this was like a, an hour and a half episode. Basically, they they're successful because he he like breaks into like the, one of the rooms because obviously the guy he's thinking oh my god what's he gonna do to rosie so he's just basically banging on the door and rosie's like i'm so glad to see you i don't know i didn't know what he was gonna do and so 
I think they basically keep the operation running. And so they make the big arrest. They manage to get the guy admitting to doing all sorts. Obviously, Eddie and Rosie are heroes. Everybody loves them. And obviously, the police officers are like to Eddie and Rosie, well, okay, why don't you two kiss and make up? And so they literally kiss and make up in front of everybody. And they're like, woo, woo, woo. They're all kissing and making up. And then obviously, Eddie's like to Rosie, yeah, maybe we should go out. We should go out sometime. And obviously, Rosie's like, yeah, not tonight, mate. I'm going home. And so she's in the changing room. She's getting changed. Eddie, he just doesn't take no for an answer. Tries to kiss Rosie again. Then he tries to force himself on her. Then he hears like a, a noise or whatever. And then she's just like, yeah, get off of me. And she runs off. Not exactly running off, but it's obviously she's like, yeah, just like freaked out by what's happened. Obviously, this was the whole thing about consent. That we will talk about when we talk about Blue Healers. And so I did watch a little bit of the aftermath. And obviously Eddie's like, look, I'm sorry. Okay. I got drunk a little bit. And obviously Rosie's like, you need to acknowledge what you did. And he's like, I'm, I was drunk. I was drunk. I didn't. Yeah, I'm, I'm drunk. I'm sorry. So he's like harassing her at every single turn. And so he goes to her house. He's like getting her dinner, flowers, all this stuff. She's like, stay the hell away from me. I don't want anything to do with you. Like, what are you doing? Obviously, he's like, Rosie, like banging on the door. Open up the door. Talk to me. Do all this thing. And then obviously, she's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And then obviously, she's like, I could complain about you and I could do all this stuff. And apparently, I think she does complain about him. And then I think she... I don't think anybody believes her or it kind of backfires against her. So she leaves and she kind of gets transferred to another place because obviously she's like, it's my word against everybody. Nobody believes me. It's probably the story of a lot of women who report this sort of stuff and they don't get believed and it absolutely sucks. And that's what she did. And then it was like a a three episode bonanza basically and it's basically the the downfall of eddie santini so it starts off with lone ranger so basically eddie's trying to make his way to drug squad he doesn't want to basically be part of it all and he's liaising with a guy called timpney ds timpney and he's basically trying to talk to a local owner jess a local club owner jess orton Remember that name. She's going to be very, very significant. And she's basically saying, I can get you in with this drug dealer called Ferguson. She's trying to meet and with her husband, Steve. Santini's basically getting himself into this whole thing with these, with these guys. And there's a thing about robberies. There's a thing about a robbery where they're stealing someone's army medals. And he gets and Eddie gets involved with all that. But he's meant to be doing like police work. He's going to be doing like boring box standard police where you've got to hand out leaflets. You've got to talk to some old people about not opening the door to any old mug. Obviously, he's like, oh, I don't want to do this. And obviously, he leaves the post so he can get with this whole drug thing. Next, next episode. So it starts off with Eddie, Eddie being really angry with Jess. 
And because Jesse's meeting up with the local drug pin behind Eddie's back. And so they, they try to pull an insurance scam of the club. The club blows up. And we see that Eddie is meeting with Ferguson. And Ferguson's like, yeah, basically, we own you now, Eddie. We own you. You, you took money from us. You're on the payroll now. You're part of this drug game now. This is it now. And obviously, he's like, if you try and blow our case, we've got video of you accepting our money. And we're going to hand it over to your police officers. And you're going to go to jail. And so they're investigating this big old wreckage. And guess who comes back? Rosie. And she's a sergeant this time. And she's like, Eddie, I got your card marked, fool. I got you. And so obviously all the other officers are all like, oh, don't worry about Eddie. He's on our side. We're, we're trying to talk to him or whatever. Yeah, so basically Ferguson is like he, he catches Santini and he knows he's a police officer. And so he's like, basically, you need to now tell Jess Orton that you're going to take this case for um, the bombing because I think her husband Steve dies in this as well. And I think the bomb was intended for Eddie and Jess. And so now it's like you, someone needs to take the rap for this. Someone needs to take the case. You need to do 20 to life for this. Otherwise, yeah, you're going to get gapped. And I think the next episode was called Push It. Eddie Santini is basically trying to track down Jess because obviously Jess is running away from him. She's paid him for a fool. So Eddie's like running around town looking for Jess. He runs into some lady's house and obviously the lady's like, you know, I'm going to call the police. And he's like, okay, I am the police. Flashes his badge. He finds Jess and he's like, you think you're going to run away from me? You need to take the rap for this crime. So Kiss Off was, I think, the last episode where they're all regulars, Eddie and Rosie. No, sorry. So the, the episode of Push It basically ends with... Yeah, so Eddie's basically... He has keys to um, Jess's house. So he basically goes to her house. He's having a massive argument with her. And Jess is like, you know what? This Rosie, she's got your card marked. You're going to get yours. You better get the hell away from me. And so he whacks her. She falls down the stairs, hits her head, and she's dead. And obviously Eddie's like... Oh, God. And he's thinking, oh, my God, I just killed someone. He's sneaking out the back door because he's got keys. And so he runs away. They find Jess's body. Obviously, Rosie's asking questions. And obviously, her superior's like, what have you got against Eddie? What the hell's the matter with you? And then she's just like, he's like, you know what? You're off this case. I don't want nothing to do with you, all this stuff. Santini's basically trying to talk to Ferguson and for, and he's basically like, look, I need out. I've killed someone, blah, 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 blah. And then basically, because Rosie was the one that released Jess from custody, her superiors basically like Pallister, that's his name. He's saying to Rosie, look, if you're, if we can find out that you're responsible for Jess's murder, you can get done for neg negligence here. Because obviously she's been murdered. And obviously she's like, look, it's Eddie. He did this. I'm going to get him. I'm going to do this. And then obviously he's like, yeah, I, I don't want to hear it anymore. And so basically Eddie and Rosie are trapped by uh, the, the drug guys. And obviously the drug guys is like, yeah, is that Rosie? Yeah, she's a police officer, right? We, we, we Let's kill her off. And obviously Eddie's like, she's a cop. You can't kill her. If you kill her, then they're going to be on your case. And obviously they're just locked up in a room together. 
and and Eddie's basically like basically admitting that he killed Jess. He's like, oh, do you want a demonstration? And so they're basically like fighting one another. And obviously Eddie has like Rosie pinned down. He's like, I'm sick of you. And obviously it's been recorded. Little do they know. Obviously Rose is like, get off me, get off me. And then I think the police come down. And they basically get everybody. They arrest everybody. They lock everybody up. And then Rosie's talking to Vicky. Because Vicky was someone who fancied Eddie Santini. And she was always protecting him. She's like, yeah, to Rosie, I don't like you. You landed Eddie Santini right in it. Blah, 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 blah. And so she's talking about, do you know if, if Eddie was out? Do you know if he has extra keys? And Vicky's like, I found extra keys in under Eddie's bed. And obviously Rosie's like, can I see those keys? And so they get Steve's keys and they get Jess's keys and they match. And that's when Rose and then that's when uh, Rosie's like, Yeah, Eddie, I'm arresting you for the murder of Jess Orton. And it, it, the famous line where she just looks at him and she's like, Gotcha. And then that's how his story ends. And then the trial. So this was another wacky, crazy episode. So basically it's the trial. And Santini has to go on trial at the old Bailey accused of murder. And obviously he's talking to Timpney. And he's like, and then Rosie comes back for this episode because she has to give evidence. as she's staying in a hotel and so on and so forth. And obviously Eddie's like, Rosie, she's on my case. We we gotta get her. You you gotta get her. We gotta get her. And <sighs> sadly for Rosie, she gets killed in her hotel. She's found dead in her hotel, and it's made to look like suicide. And so the trial is and so the trial is basically falling apart at the seams. They can't really like pin Eddie down for evidence, so he gets found not guilty. And so Eddie is basically going home. He runs into Timpney. And so Timpney's like, he's got a gun in front of Eddie. And he's like, it's you or me, fool. This this thing is bigger than all of us. It's bigger than you, bigger than me, whatever. And obviously Eddie Santini's like, if you're going to do it, do it. Pop. Eddie Santini is no more. And uh, quickly, talking about Don Beach. So... Uh, the episode where it all really came to a head was Find the Lady. So basically, Don Beach gets involved in a corruption scandal. Once he he gets caught up with mob bosses and gangsters and whatnot, and he gets caught in too deep. And he's trying to call his friend and his colleague, uh, John Bolton. And so he's like, Bolton. He, and he tells him to meet him at this like abandoned, like, I don't even know what to describe it as, as a, as a quarry, basically. And so he's like to John Bolton, look, I'm in too deep. You got to help me. I don't know what's going to happen. And John Bolton is like, yeah, I'm not going to help you. And he's like, look, I've, I've got, I'm put, and Beach is like, I've got my life in my hands. Like, help me, please. And obviously he's like, I'm getting out of here. And obviously he's like, you are not going anywhere. And so he headbutts Bolton. And Bolton is like, I'm going to get you now. So they're basically squabbling and fighting. And then he's got, Beach has got Bolton on the floor. It's like, I'm trying to help you. Little do you know, he's basically banging his head onto concrete. 
And so he basically kills Bolton. And he's like, okay, wake up, Bolton. Wake up, all right? Calm down. I've, I, and he's obviously he's subduing him, but not killing him. So he kills him. And then he just, yeah, it, it gets even worse now. And obviously they're like, he's trying to hide the body. And obviously some man is like, look, there's a body here. And I think Dave and another police officer come to see the body. And they're like, that's D.I. John Bolton. And obviously they're like, are you sure? And his um, girlfriend was, um, what's her name? Stanton. Claire Stanton was, was the name of his girlfriend. And obviously she's devastated. She knows about Don Beach. And fast forward to when they thought, you know what, we're going to get him this time. No, sorry, he was, Don Beach was trying to cut a deal. Because he was just like, you know what, I'm guilty, but I can bring down a lot of drug people. And then obviously Kelly's like, no deal, fool. You're a murderer. You killed my man. I want you to pay. And obviously the, the detective's like, hmm, we can work a deal. We can, we, can, we can figure something out. And obviously Claire's like, are you crazy? He killed. And then obviously he's like, to Claire, it's an order. Get out of the room. And I love what she does. So obviously he's like leaning on the chair casually or whatever. She kicks the chair down. She has him on the ground. And she just basically lays him with kicks and whatever. She's like, yeah, John wouldn't want me to do that. And obviously he's like reeling on the floor. And so when they're basically, they're trying to get him, they're trying to trap Don Beach. And so he's inside this warehouse with all these people. And so he manages to catch all the bad guys. And then Don Beach turns on the people that are meant to be saving him. And so he's just basically locking everybody up. He steals the money and he runs away. He gets away. And obviously Claire's like, how did you guys let him inside there on his own? Like, he's a slippery so-and-so. And I think they even do, like, a Don Beach special where he's in Australia. Like, the dude runs away. He gets away with it, gets away with murder, literally. And, yeah, the final kind of story that I remember from the bill was about this uh, serial killer. He's just basically killing people. And I think he killed, like, five people. Well, he ends up killing Cassie Rickman, who was like a police officer from Liverpool, had a very strong Scouse accent. And yeah, her body was found. And that was probably yeah the last, last storyline that I watched of The Bill. And yeah, this is, yeah, long, long show, man. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about for The Bill. Like for sure, it's a, you know, it's a British institution. Great show. Really, really, really great show. It really was. And yeah, I think we spoke about this way too long because obviously, yeah, it wasn't like they were doing half an hour episodes every day. They were doing hour episodes every single day. And like I said, I had to like do a little bit of cheating and doing a little bit of fast forward plus my memory. So it was one of those things where I couldn't literally watch all of these. Otherwise, I'd still be here right now watching episodes. But no, this was uh, an institution. This was an incredible show with incredible stories and yeah the bill will live long in infamy right now we're gonna start with uh, the head-to-head and talk about nypd blue so this show first came out in september 1993 and some of the things happening in the world the Cambodian monarchy is restored with Nor- Norodom Sihanouk as king. 
OG listeners will know this already because we've done September 1993 so many times. China performs a nuclear test, ending a worldwide de facto moratorium. The first known reference to Y2K is published in Computer World magazine, with an article by a Canadian software specialist titled Doomsday 2000. The Good Son was in the cinemas, and Creep by Radiohead was in the charts. Right, so NYPD Blue. So this was a American police procedural drama TV series set in New York City, exploring the struggles of the fictional 15th Precinct detective squad in Manhattan. The show was created by Stephen Bocho and David Milch and was inspired by Milch's relationship with Bill Clark, a former member of the New York City Police Department who eventually became one of the show's producers. It was ABC's longest-running primetime hour drama series until Grey's Anatomy surpassed it in 2016. NYPD Blue has won, had won 84 out of 285 award nominations. The series garnered 84 primetime Emmy Award nominations, winning 20 of them. Of the 20 wins, the series won the award for Outstanding Drama Series. Dennis Franz won four times for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Drama Series. And Kim Delaney won for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama Series. Gordon Clapp won for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Drama Series. Shirley Knight and Deborah Monk each won for Outstanding Guest Actress in a Drama Series. And Paris Barkley won twice for Outstanding Directing for a Drama Series. It also received 13 Golden Globe nominations with David Caruso, Franz and Jimmy Smith each winning for Best Actor, Television Series Drama and the series winning Best Television Series Drama. The series received 23 Screen Actors Guild Award nomination with Franz winning twice for Outstanding Performance by a Male Actor in a Drama Series and the cast winning for Outstanding Performance by an Ensemble in a Drama Series. NYPD Blue received 13 TCA award nomination, winning once for Outstanding Achievement in Drama. Additional accolades include two Peabody Awards, the Producers Guild of America Award for Best Episodic Drama, the Writers Guild of America Award for TV for Television Episodic Drama, and the Satellite Award for the Best TV Series Drama. NYPD Blue was met with critical acclaim praised for its grittiness and realistic portrayal of the cast's personal and professional lives through the show, garnered controversy for its depiction of nudity and alcoholism. In 1997, True Confessions, which was season one, episode four, written by Art Monterestelli and directed by Charles Hayde, was ranked number 36 on TV Guide's 100 Greatest Episodes of All Time. In 2009, Hearts and Souls, Series 6, Episode 5, Jimmy Smith's final episode as a main cast member, ranked 30th on TV Guide's 100 Greatest Episodes of All Time. It's interesting how I always talk about TV Guide's 100 Greatest Episodes of All Time, and I've somehow never bumped into the top 20. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of shows out there, to be fair. Well, yeah, but we just haven't done the very, very best. We're doing the wrong shows then, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) No, right? I'm always doing number 55. (laughs) Give me number 15 of the greatest shows of all time. Do you give me number seven or number one? Again, I'm not going to do a full character rundown because it's like too many characters and too many years. So there was Detective John Kelly, 
who was played by David Caruso, Detective, and then later Sergeant Andy Sipowitz, played by Dennis Franz, Lieutenant or Captain Arthur Fancy, played by James McDaniel, ADA Laura Michaels Kelly, played by Sherry Stringfield, Officer then Detective Janice Likalsi, played by Amy Brennerman, Officer then Detective then Sergeant James Martinez, played by Nicholas Torturo, ADA Sylvia Costas, played by Sharon Lawrence, Detective Greg Medavoy, played by Gordon Clapp, and PAA Donna Abandando, played by Gail O'Grady, and Detective Bobby Simone, played by Jimmy Smits. NYPD Blues. I mean, obviously, this is not even on my radar. Um, never heard of it, never seen it. I mean, I've seen Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I'm pretty sure that was like a similar show. No, um, it's not, because Brooklyn Nine-Nine <laughs> was a comedy. Yeah, no, I was just joking. Uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is brilliant as well, though. Yeah, I mean, this show, I was a bit like, I don't know what to expect. It was the last show I watched of the three, so coming off two pretty, pretty good wins. But I have to say, this is another win. Like, this week was like absolutely stellar. I thought the show, there was a couple of fast forwardy bits. The, the, the show in general was really good, really gripping, great little storyline. And, you know, it wasn't that heavy either because it had a like, little storyline, kind of musical interlude of like pretty New Yorky shots and then, you know, more storyline. Do you know what? This was really, really good show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very, very easy to watch. It's crazy how some of the 40-minute shows are very easy to watch, whereas the 20-minute shows, I'm, like, struggling. Yeah. I remember Maniac Mansion, it was torture sitting through that, and that was, like, significantly... 23-minute episodes, and it was like, kill me now. Yeah. (laughs) 23 minutes felt like 23 hours watching that show, whereas this one, it was obviously longer. And, again, I don't think we've missed in terms of longer ep- like long like shows that are longer episodes so like i remember saint elsewhere magnificent show but it was like 40 minutes and you just wish you could watch more because it was so good but obviously we ain't got the time with our lives and whatnot and obviously it sucks but we just have to make do with what we can it's just the way it is yeah, we just, yeah, make do with what we can and yeah this was very very good sipowitz was a character who started off like down here and then kind of his character grew the development of him was 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 great to see and i was fortunate to sort of catch his growth and his development and obviously he the same he wasn't the same guy in episode one as he was in episode a million because it went on for god knows how many years yeah i mean i i watched the first episode of this because it's like you know like time's a factor but yeah it, it was absolutely fantastic yeah, right. So let's let's talk about episodes then. So uh, the pilot earned a DGA award. The competition included two other episodes from that season, True Confessions and From Hair to Eternity. And in 1996, TV Guide included this episode as part of its 100 Most Memorable Moments in TV History, ranking it at number 83. And there's the famous opening scene between Sipowitz and... ADA Sylvia Costas and this was a bit uncomfortable and this was one of those things where I didn't like him from the offset so basically it includes her saying the line I would say res ipsa locuter so this is Latin 
And basically, it means the thing speaks for itself. And so Sipowitz replies, hey, Ipsa this, you pissy little bitch. He says that. And then obviously, yeah, the, 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 the phrase is the thing speaks for itself. Res Ipsa loquitur. Apparently, they're bringing back Latin in schools. Maybe I should go back to school. Well, I mean, if you, apparently, if you learn Latin, you can, you know, it's easier to learn all of the Latin-based languages, right? So, um, Mr. Sipowitz is in court. Uh, and, but, like I said, I was reading what I'm saying on the script. I don't, obviously, when I watched that clip, it was very uncomfortable to watch. And I was, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is one, that's one of the first things you see of him. So anyway, so Mr. Sipowitz is in court, but it, he's given ed- evidence against a guy called uh, someone Giadella. Giadella. Alphonse Giadella. So he's given evidence against a guy called Alphonse Giadella, who he suspects is like a quite big time gangster. But his evidence is inadmissible because he put the nails in the tires and what should have been probable cause should have been readily apparent, but kind of fudged the evidence there. So anyway, he gets off. Um, case dismissed, evidence is inadmissible. So it turns out, yeah, so he's got a bit of a personal vendetta against this guy. And this is when outside he calls the d- district attorney out and he calls her what you what you said that he called her. Back in the precinct, um, the lieutenant says to John that he needs to find a new partner because Sipowitz is a drunk and he wants to like take him off the streets. So John goes to the bar where Sipowitz is indeed drinking and tells him that it, you know he's ready to call it quits, have a bit of an argument. John goes back to his... Uh, soon to be ex-wife's house and Ramon from the building got beat up because basically because John doesn't live there anymore there's no police uh, this is where you learn that John and his wife are splitting up uh, his wife Laurie but they basically still love each other there's still feelings both ways so Sipowitz uh, gets really drunk and goes to see the guy um, Alphonse and he beats him up in front of all his friends points a gun at him uh, drags him outside uh, this is when John just happens to be driving by and stops and then uh, sends him home in a squad car and just says, like, you know, calm, calm down. You can't kind of do things like that. So Internal Affairs is investigating what happened. Uh, and then to do the paperwork for the divorce, David Schwimmer comes in. Uh, he's the lawyer playing quite a good part. Do you know what? David Schwimmer is one of the best actors. I think one of the most underrated actors, actually. His name is Josh Goldstein. Josh, yeah. And was it B4? B4, B4? Yeah, apart from B4. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, David Schwimmer, brilliant actor. Like, it's a, some parts that he plays. He's just, no one else could play these parts better. Anyway, James Martinez is uh, standing for, uh, for John, for his new partner. Lipowitz gets uh, put on paid leave for doing what he did. Then he goes and gets hammered and he goes with a prostitute. The prostitute's actually been paid to lure him into a building where um, Alphonse is waiting for him and, and, and Alphonse ambushes him and shoots uh, shoots him. So John is now looking for Giardella because he knows that he was the one that did it. Um, he goes and speaks to this like mafia boss guy. But in doing so, he interrupted an organized crime sting and, and, and they weren't happy about that. John and his new partner Martinez go and rattle some cages, uh, basically go and um, stop all of the kind of like the betting and all of the uh, other kind of organized crime bits and pieces that that's going on you know, kind of money laundering, things like that. So to stop the, 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 the crime unit's bankroll so that they can um, give up Giardella. John goes out with this female police officer and ends up taking a taking a home. Then his ex-wife comes around and, you know, he basically says, you know, I've actually got company. And then she makes a really snidey little comment saying, well, obviously you're not upset about your partner being shot then. 
which I thought was quite unnecessary, to be honest. Giardella comes in for a voluntary interview and says, I, I didn't do nothing, basically. His lawyer says, you better come to this place for dinner, to John. Uh, this is Giardella's lawyer, says him. Uh, and then this is like, he's with the mafia boss. And then John tells him that I ain't given up unless you give up Giardella. And the lawyer gets mugged. And the police officer that he's um, kind of having a relationship with is there. And she's um, trying to sort things out because it's not good. And it turns out that she's in cahoots with the mafia boss, which is a bizarre twist. He says, you better find a way to kill him. So then at this point, John goes to see Sipowitz, who's in hospital. At this point, he, you know, he hasn't wanted to go see him because he's a bit upset about the whole thing. Um, and then he says, like, look, I don't believe this is goodbye because you're the toughest son of a bitch I've ever met. And he kind of holds his hand and then Tipperwitz squeezes his hand back. And that's the end of the episode. And I have to say, absolutely outstanding first episode. Yeah, I think to kind of follow up on this, basically what happens in this season is that Janice ends up killing the mob boss instead of killing John because she's in. she actually falls in love with him for real and... I think that whole thing got a little complicated. I think she had to kind of do time. So she had to get arrested. She had to do a little bit of time and whatnot. I mean, that's how that kind of story came to an end. The mob boss, I think, was called Angelo Marino. And yeah, obviously, it, it ended with John seeing his partner, Andy, and saying, look, don't give up. And he didn't give up. Because I went all the way to episode finale of season six which was called safe home now previously to this episode andy sipowitz was married um yeah so basically andy's missus who may very well be the same person he was flipping off in the courthouse she gets killed because there's a thing that whole thing that went wrong and obviously andy he's um, a widow now and he doesn't know what to do with his life and he is survived by a child called Theo. And obviously Theo, the little child, is like, where is my mummy? And he doesn't quite know what to do. Everybody and the lieutenant wants Danny to keep an eye on him. And the other police officers are worried about Andy's state of mind. Katie, who is his ex-wife, goes to see Andy in his home, but he doesn't want to see her. And he's just basically lashing out at her because he's hurting. And they're all just trying to basically figure out how they can reach him because it's not good to be on your own when something like this happens. I can only imagine if that was, if you're going through, you know, losing your wife and what you're going to do, especially if you have a young child. Steve is talking to some of the police officers about, and there's a guy called Steve and he's coming in and he's talking about confessing to being hired for a murder to clear up gambling debts. And he was going to the courthouse and he was supposed to kill somebody. He's supposed to kill somebody called Kenny Priest, but he ends up killing Andy's wife instead. Now they're going to someone called Lurleen Young to talk about all of this. And she has to talk about her relationship with a potential murderer. And she's basically talking about Mike and Malcolm. And I think they're police officers and they're calling them slobs. Malcolm comes to the police station to give evidence. And he has to go to a grand jury. Danny wants to talk to Andy and update him with what's happening. And Andy reluctantly agrees. And there's a guy called John. and He feels bad about what happens in the courthouse. And he doesn't want to face Andy. And Ma oh, Malcolm is um, uh, a criminal guy, actually, not a police officer, sorry. And so he's thinking, okay, if I get into trouble, what's going to happen? Comes in without his lawyer and basically... 
Andy is telling Malcolm, because obviously Ma- Andy comes to the interrogation room with Malcolm, and he's like to Malcolm, look, you're basically living a life of crime. It's Groundhog Day every day for you, but in hell. And Malcolm is basically accepting his fate. Andy wants to go home because he's like, look, I've helped you guys. I just want to go home. Everyone's wishing him well. And basically Andy's saying, look, there's no hard feelings. You're a hero for what you did. And he still doesn't want to tell, Andy still doesn't want to tell Theo that his mom is gone. And he decides to just pray by Theo's side. Apologies for my really, really sparse notes there, if it didn't make too many sense. And then I went to the finale, which was moving day. And basically, Sipowitz is now the squad commander. And a lot of people aren't too happy about that. And so it starts off with a high-priced cool girl called Pamela, who's found dead in her apartment room. And the doorman found her. And he's basically saying, I did see someone leaving the room. And a guy called Robert is talking about what happened. And Robert is basically, he was seeing this cool girl and he was cheating on his wife. And so he voluntarily comes to the police to try and give evidence. Obviously, he wants it to be known and not have his wife know about seeing her. And obviously, he's like, look, I got an alibi. I was out to dinner with my wife during the time of the murder. Police are trying to talk to Pamela's parents to try and find out more about her. Pamela's father, Pat, doesn't care. And he's like, look, whatever. You can contact her sister. And now there's two new guys, Ray and Joe. And they're basically coming into the the team. So they basically go and talk to a guy called Mr. Nakada about Pamela. And th- they're saying that he may have known Panama, but he's basically like, I've got diplomatic immunity. You better get out of my face. And they're talking to Pamela's sister. And obviously she's talking about some of the things that she used to do. And how she was like, yeah, she's just basically living the life as a as a cool girl and things of that nature. And so they're basically talking to Robert's driver. And the, the Robert driver's now talking to the police. He's like, I don't know anything. And I don't really know what's going on. Obviously, he's a loyal driver. He doesn't want to get involved with nothing. So he's just basically like, yeah, I'm just a driver. I don't do nothing. I take Robert and his wife from A to B. And so they're talking to Anne-Marie. And she refuses to talk, but she doesn't want to get killed. And she says that when, when they were together with Robert, Robert gets violent. And Robert wanted to end it with Pamela. For Pamela was like, yeah, basically, I'm going to tell your wife about everything. And no, Anne-Marie, I think, was another cool girl. Sorry, I think Anne-Marie was another cool girl. And she was basically saying, look, she may have been killed because she was going to blow the whole thing up with uh, Robert and his wife. And now intelligent officers are speaking to Sipowitz about a development and they're saying that Toshiro Nakada has taken full responsibility for the murder. He has full immunity and he goes back to Japan. And so it was basically because the rookies gave up the name to uh, an, uh, an OG superior. And so they're basically like, look, this case is closed. Done. It's the Japanese guy. He confessed. There it is. Boom. He's gone off to Japan. They're basically going off now. And obviously Sipowitz is like, yeah, leave the case open because I'm not satisfied by that. And so the rookies are going to talk to Nakada's friends and they're saying that and she's basically saying go talk to his uncle because he knew better. Now they're talking to Robert's wife and she's saying that she knew about Pamela Wyatt and she threatened to divorce Robert if he didn't end it with Pamela. Pamela is like, look, 
you can say what you want, but I'm not going to sully my husband's name. You guys need to leave. Sipowitz gets confronted by his superiors about reopening the case. And he's like, don't make me come back here again. Case closed. And they're talking to Nakada's uncle. And they're asking about his nephew. And obviously he's like, my nephew confessed to the crime. But obviously the police are like, yeah, it's not convinced. And then we learn about Nakada. Loves a gamble and it may have gotten him into trouble. And Nakada is talking about meeting Robert and how influential and powerful he is. And Sipowitz is still keeping the case open. And they're saying, we need to try the bookie and we need to try the driver. So they're now talking to Howard the bookie. And he's saying that he was owed £110,000. And Nakada has to make restitution. And Nakada has to pay the money in full. And somehow he does. And they're going back to talk to the driver again. And they're like to the driver, look. Mr. Driver, you do know that if we find Robert guilty, you're going to be guilty too for accessory after the fact. What do you? What is your choice? You want to go to jail? Or you want to go home? In the famous words of Denzel Washington in Training Day. And so the driver finally breaks down, and he's telling the police that Robert called him, saying, "Yo, man, I need your help. Come and pick me up at this place." He's like, Robert was white, he was covered in blood, and he wanted new clothes. And he's saying that, look, that he will take care of the driver and his family. Robert is finally arrested for the murder of Pamela Wyatt. And Robert's wife is confused, because obviously they're like, look, Robert, we're going to arrest you quietly. We're going to put your handcuffs behind your hands so that nobody can see you're being arrested. Don't embarrass yourself. Don't make this difficult. Come quietly. And the chief, again, is unhappy about Sipowitz's conduct because obviously he's like, how the hell am I finding out on the news that you reopened this case? He's like, don't ever embarrass me again like that. You understand? And the old commander is basically passing the baton to Andy and he's basically saying, look, your job is difficult because you have to please the higher ups and you have to look after your subordinates, your the people that you look after. And everyone's saying, look, Andy, we're proud of you. We're proud of you. They're all giving a pat on the back. And obviously the whole kind of thing of the episode was that he wasn't quite moving into the office. And then in the last sort of scene, he finally moves into the office and he is officially the guy in charge. And yeah, that was the end of NYPD Blue. Great little show. To be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy that we, uh, we, we did this one. Yeah, I thought this was really, really good. I thought it was excellent. It cleaned up. As far as awards go, they 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 won a host of awards, and and rightfully so. And yeah, honestly, good 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 on these guys, man. They they absolutely smashed it. Last but not least, Blue Healers. This came out in January 1994. Some of the things happening in the world: the North American Free Trade Agreement or NAFTA is established. Soyuz TM-18 Valery Polyakov begins his 437.7-day orbit, eventually setting the world record for days spent in orbit. The Irish government announces the end of a 15-year broadcasting ban on the provisional Irish Republican Army and its political arm Sinn Féin. Iron Will was in the cinemas and Anything by Culture Beat was in the charts. Blue Healers now. So this was a Australian police drama that was produced by Southern Star Group 
Although based around the policing of the town, the series generally depicted the everyday lives and relationships of the residents of Mount Thomas, a fictional small town in Victoria. The series is one of the highest rated and most awarded program in the history of Australian television, having won five Logie Awards. In its, it is equal as the most awarded show in the Logie's history with the Don Lane Show. It is also noted for its two main stars, Lisa McCoon, who plays Maggie, she was a four-time recipient of the Gold Logie, and John Wood, who plays Tom, who also won Gold. And as well as everyday policing matters, the series deals with many controversial and touchy subjects. The series was the first to examine the stressful world of young police officers who are thrown in the deep end where they are left to sink or swim. And police procedurals were enormously popular in Australia in the 60s and 70s, but by the 1980s they had been replaced by homegrown soap operas and miniseries. Blue Healers, however, was Australia's most popular television drama while it lasted. The series drew more than 2.5 million viewers every week at its peak. Along with Homicide, Blue Healers holds the Australian record for most episodes produced of a weekly primetime drama. It was also nearly the longest running series, but Homicide lasted one calendar month longer and due to five feature length episodes had more time on air. The police officers, commonly referred to as healers, are always active sorting out the town's many problems the problems range from trivial complaints such as land and fencing disputes to more serious offences such as homicides and assaults. The small town is also faced with many other significant occurrences, including bank robberies, escape criminals, police shootings, kidnappings, and the acts of deluded criminals. Of these, one of the more significant events is the bombing of the police station during the show's 11th season. Whenever overwhelmed, the healers call on the assistance of the police in the larger town of St. David's, home of the resident police inspector Russell Falcon Price, an antagonist in the series. Falcon Price often tries to terminate the employment of the Mount Thomas sergeant or to close the entire station, which in reality would be almost entirely out of his control. Along with their police work, aspects of the healers' personal lives are regularly featured. Notably, the relationship between Maggie and PJ, which ends in Maggie's death in one of the most watched moments on Australian television. I will talk about that episode later. Blue Healers exec producer Gus Howard believed the show's popularity was due mainly to the quality of the cast. And what he said was, and I quote, much of the success of Blue Healers had been attributed to one of the best ensemble casts of any drama on television, with most every cast member becoming a household name. The basic vocation for the show has always been about shedding a little light on the human condition, something Australian audiences have readily identified with. The show epitomizes and represents the Australian ethos in a way that fully reflects Australian life. Described by critics before its launch, a country practice meets cop shop, and as the contemporary cousin of British cop show, Heartbeat, Blue Healers was not anticipated by critics to become a hugely popular program. However, it became a hit TV show soon after it began airing. During most of its broadcast, Blue Healers was very popular in Australia. And some of the main characters, so there was Tom Croydon, played by John Wood. Chris Riley, played by Julie Nihill. P.G. Hashem, played by Martin Sachs. Maggie Dora, played by Lisa McCoon. Nick Schultz, played by William McInnes, and Wayne Patterson, played by Grant Bowler. 
Blue Heelers. So you know how much I love a uh, uh, have a, love an Australian show. Yes, you do. Yeah, so this obviously this didn't disappoint. It was fantastic, just as much as I've loved w- watching all of the uh, Australian dramas and TV shows that we've done. But yeah, this genuinely was another really, really good show. It was like kind of a sleepy town, kind of everything happens, probably cheap houses because the crime rate's so high, I guess. Yeah, this is a brilliant show. Um, acting was great. Shooting was great. I, I, I can't fault this show, really. I, I enjoyed every minute I was watching it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Australians don't miss. They don't, do they? They just come out. Just If they do it, they're going to do it properly. They're going to clean up. They're going to get everything going. I mean population of australia is but i'm kind of sure it can be much more than three million people right everyone's tuning in yeah i'm trying to think if we've done a bad australian show i mean off the bat i can't think of one no i don't no i don't think and i don't think we have i mean even like the school stuff that we've done regular dramas young doctors everything i've enjoyed i've enjoyed australian shows and yeah this one was no different i i had heard of blue healers by the way you had i hadn't i had heard of this show i've heard of this show blue healers and obviously i'd never seen it never know what it was about but no i i really really liked it the acting was really really good this was very very popular disappointing that amazon didn't put all the episodes early i think they did put like half of it again it's like don't like don't half ass it man if you're gonna put something up just put it up put it all up I do wonder why they Who do that. Who cares if it's like a million episodes in one season? Just put the damn thing up. It doesn't make a difference. Just put it up. Okay? Like, oh, this is for all, like, streaming platforms. We're paying the money, so just put it up. Even if, it, like, even if like, one season has, like, 200 episodes. Maybe, I don't know, they, they're thinking, oh, my God, it's too expensive. It's too expensive. Okay, if it's too expensive, don't put it up in the first place. You know what? Either my My deal is... Either put everything up or don't put nothing at all. It's annoying when, you know, when you got half the things. But uh, I ended up paying Amazon for um, NYPD Blue as well. Good good on you for doing that. But, um, yeah, um, what was I going to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't scrimp. All right? Don't put, don't, don't half-ass it. That's why I hate BritBox. Because they just half-ass everything. But then, actually, I think they did have all of Press Gang. They didn't have all the episodes of Press Gang, but they didn't have all the episodes of Children's Ward, which was weird. If you don't have all the episodes of Press Gang, you can obviously have all the episodes of Children's Ward. I love if they just lost the tapes, though. How much of these would be stored electronically? I don't know. That's, that's a good point. No, but you'd find a way. This is like a big program. Damn it. This Blue Healer is like one of Australia's biggest shows. Y'all tell me you're going to lose clips and whatever and it was and and the episodes were all like jumbled up because i had to like watch i had to watch it on youtube in the end but uh yes let's let's go right into episodes the pilot was a woman's place yeah so i watched this one and this was the only one i watched um so a policeman pulls over a lady his name is pj and her name is maggie doyle she's the incoming uh police constable and basically, everywhere she gets, she gets uh, kind of like comments that she's a lady, right? So she's staying at the Imperial Hotel. A uh, man called Wayne Patterson is there. They have some history. They used to date each other whilst we're in the police academy and then lost touch. This is when I thought it might be a New Zealand episode because someone said something in a New Zealand accent, not not Aussie accent. can't remember what they said, but uh, yeah, obviously it was an Aussie show. She goes to the police station, but the sergeant is too busy to check her in. 
Um, everyone assumes that you know she's just this girl. Back at the pub, this guy's drinking earlier, and now he's about to join uh, to drive this woman home. He doesn't seem like a very nice guy, and he's captain of the football team. I wasn't clear if it was like you know soccer or Aussie football. Um, anyway, so PJ and Nick, who she's yeah, yeah, it's Aussie rules. When they, when they say footy, they mean. Aussie rules, Aussie rules football, football, yeah. Okay, cool. PJ and Nick, who stopped them earlier, came for dinner. Join her and and ba- join her for dinner. And basically, the you know the joke is that they get the, the new incoming police officer drunk. So she's already spoken to the bar lady, who switches to vodka for water. After the you know the shenanigans in the pub, Sally Ann knocks on the door, who's the girlfriend of the guy guy that left earlier, and she's been beaten up and she's been raped. So Sally, the the bar lady. Uh, uh, knocks on Sally's door, sorry, on uh, Maggie's door, and she interviews Sally. She takes her to the hospital and basically says, like, her fella, who was called Bruce, was the one that raped her. Uh, so the whole police force is involved now, and they go and arrest Bruce. The next day is Maggie's official first day on the force. She gets catcalled like, straight away when she walks out of the hotel, and she like, basically says, listen, you better fix your car up, or you're going to get a ticket. Uh, just kind of show him who's boss. Bruce goes to see Sally. Uh, and he basically forces a way into a house. Um, and Roz, who is Wayne's girlfriend, is there to clean up the cells. And she's jealous of uh, Maggie. And she they basically said, listen, like, there's nothing going on. We, we're we cool, me and you. So Wayne and Maggie go to uh, this old man's house who uh, needs to pay some fines. He has a really vicious kind of dog there. And the dog breaks the chain and ends up going for Wayne. And uh, Maggie shoots him. Sally, meanwhile, goes to the police station. She says she wants to withdraw the complaint. Maggie says, no, you can't. The balls are balls rolling. Then uh, when they learn that Bruce has done what he's done, they, he gets rearrested for breaking his bail conditions. Uh, and then Sergeant goes to see the man who, who who they shot the dog of. And he kind of has to like com- kind of convince him, like, you know, like these people are just, you know, they're new. Give him a chance kind of thing. Sally Ann tries to kill herself. So they'll rescue her and then... That's all fine. She doesn't actually die. And then the old man comes to the pub and says, you know, kind of to, he calls her Annie something or other. His name was Doherty, by the way. And then they give him a puppy at the end, like to say sorry for shooting your dog in the face. So all's well that ends well. Very good episode, I have to say. Um, I didn't do it just with my notes, but there you go. Obviously, yeah, Bruce gets barred from the pub and uh, Maggie can't seem to find Sally Ann anywhere. Oh, she goes to see Sally Ann at the hospital. And Sally Ann accepts that obviously this might have to go all the way and it might have to go to court. Yep. Bruce try- is, is trying to go to the bar again. Because yeah, he's, Chris- he's a self-entitled rich guy, yeah, isn't he? So. Chris asks her to leave. Maggie's standing up to Bruce. And obviously, Bruce is like, you're getting on my Swede. And obviously, the whole team turns up against Bruce because obviously she's like, yeah. This is what you did. This is what your uh, This is what your guy did. This is what your captain did, yeah. And yeah, okay, so I went all the way to uh, season seven, episode two, called One More Day. And so basically, Maggie, she's opened this, blown this whole drug case wide open. But she gets herself way, way into deep and she's in big, big trouble. So she has to go into witness protection. And so now she's, her and PJ are now dating. And so Maggie and PJ have to trick everybody into splitting up so that everybody thinks Maggie's leaving. Obviously, nobody can know that she's going into um, witness protection. PJ wants to go with Maggie. But Maggie's like, look, don't leave your life behind just for me. 
And she's got one more day to go. And then Maggie's like to PJ, look, you're better off where you're at. Let me go. And you've got a lot to live for here. It's business as usual because Maggie's like, I, I don't want to just be stuck in this house. I'd rather be in a place with police officers, right? I'm, I'm, I'm the safest when I'm at a police station. Maggie's talking to her dad and basically she's telling him that the wedding is off. He can't seem to believe it. And Ben is trying to talk to PJ about Maggie, but he's obviously trying to pretend and he's like, look, nothing can be done. We, we've split up. Maggie almost gets hit by a car. And it's basically, I think, maybe one of the, the druggies or whatever. PJ's furious about this. Tom's trying to talk to Maggie and PJ. And obviously he's like, I'm not happy about you guys breaking up. Obviously he sees Maggie as a daughter. And Tom is sad to see Maggie leaving. And Maggie's telling everybody. Ben is now trying to talk to Maggie. And he's trying to make it make sense. But he's saying, look, no matter what happens, I'll always be there for you. Maggie's dad, he gets himself into trouble. He's rambling and he's drunk and he's le he spills his drink everywhere. And Maggie's like, look, before I go, I want to straighten it up with my dad. I'm not going anywhere until I've done that. And so obviously the time has come for her to go. But they can't seem to find Maggie's dad. Maggie refuses to go until she sees him. They go to Pat's house and find that he's gone. Maggie thinks that he's been taken and they want to go look for him. And now that Maggie's missed the pickup and he's like, look, the bad guys know about this. And now Maggie's alone in the house. And obviously in crazy style, she's like thinking, why am I alone in the house in the dark? She's wandering around. I think like Mick and PJ come out of nowhere. She's like with a knife going like, what the hell are you doing scaring me like this, man? That's what I'm thinking. Like, turn the light on. Say I'm here. Don't be creeping around my damn house. She should have slapped him upside the head with a mallet or something. <laughs> Damn. And it's Maggie's last day at the office. Jack reckons that she's still in love with PJ and doesn't really want to leave. Maggie finds her dad. Dad's watch stolen and because there's a man called Mr. Forbes who's in custody. And Maggie just basically just jumps on him, just starts beating the hell out of him, going, where'd you find this watch, fool, and whatever. Tom is trying to find a way to defend Maggie, but she's like, look, I take full responsibility. Do what you want. Obviously, PJ's like, she was provoked. So obviously, he's like, I ain't giving you shit, bitch. And obviously, she's like, what did you call me? And then that's when she just jumped on him, was like, call me that again, call me that again. Just like beating him up. I was like, yeah, good, go and get him. They're following someone called Stuart. They go to a house, they find Pat drunk. Pat wants to see Maggie in the hospital. And then obviously Maggie's like to PJ, look, we need to keep up appearances. Go to the pub. I'm gonna go be with my dad. Pat is apologizing to Maggie and he's like, look, I wish you all the best in your future endeavors. Please stay in touch. Maggie then goes to the police station. She finds Tom there. And Tom is like, I don't know what's happening but you need to keep the peace. Like, just just keep this peace, like a gun. Like, I don't know what's happening in your future, but return it to me in a few days' time. Just hang on to this. Tom basically works out and realizes what's happening, gives her a hug. He's like, you're closer to me than my actual daughters, and I'm going to miss you. Chris is basically wondering where Maggie is, because obviously he's like, she's not in the pub. PJ's now wondering where Maggie is. And Mick is like, he left her alone somewhere and now they're looking for Maggie. And then Peach is like, why the hell would you leave her alone? And then obviously Maggie's going to an abandoned lockup somewhere. Tom is now at the pub and he's wondering where Maggie is. 
and basically Maggie is all alone in this abandoned warehouse. PJ is rushing, rushing, rushing to find her. He's too late as he finds a gun covered in blood. And then he finds Maggie completely covered in bullets. And Maggie dies in PJ's arms. So this is probably one of the like the most gripping things in the history of Australian television. And instead of watching the finale, I decided to watch how this Maggie thing concluded. So the whole world and his wife seems to think that PJ was the one who killed his his girl. And obviously he's like, what the hell? I would never kill her. And it gets to court, but then there's like literally no evidence. So it gets thrown out. And so PJ knows that Maggie visited, tried to visit the drug chief and picking up a disc containing all the evidence. Mick then turned around and says that the disc was encrypted and it was sent to the Justice Department. Now, Ben wants to kind of get involved and find out, but obviously PJ is like, I want you involved in this. This is between, this is my case to solve. He's going to the scene of an accident and there's basically a bull that got run over and the car has lots of things missing. And PJ is like trying really hard to like figure out the case, but Tom isn't buying it yet. And they're trying to talk to a guy who basically crashed his car into a bull and he's he's like he's like in hospital or whatever he's like in a coma and he doesn't realize that he was robbed as well dotty's now filing a complaint to the police about a police officer and the bull and he wants to sue the driver but tom is like you can't do that we find out that the driver's name is norman kerr and obviously at the hospital he's like he wants to um drive north pj's like what did you do with um norman's wallet and he's like, okay, I've got Norman's wallet and there's like two identifications. But now Norman, he's left the hospital and he's missing. And PJ's thinking, okay, look, this Norman guy might have something to do with this whole case. We need to find him and we need to find the ringleader. And PJ doesn't want Maggie's dad involved in the case. And they find someone dead inside a shop and they find the car that Norman Kerr had. And now they think that Norman Kerr is a person of interest. PJ's telling Mick about Norman and he's th- and PJ's saying, you know what, I might be next. If this drug people, they killed Maggie, they might want to come after me next. And PJ is now being advised to find Norman, but PJ's like, I want the leader. And PJ's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try and use myself as bait so I can try and find the leader. But obviously Tom is like, this is a crazy plan. Mick as well is like, I've lost uh, my sister. I don't want to lose my brother-in-law. What the hell are you doing? Are you crazy? And PJ's telling Pat about the plan and Pat's like, okay, I support it. But obviously Mick is like, why would you support this plan? This is a crazy plan. And Pat still wants to help, but PJ's kind of still keeping him at arm's length. And so Pat is like, look, I've got Maggie's ashes and I want them to scatter them together. Ben is insisting that he wants to get involved despite the risks. And outside the police station, there's like shots fired. And there's basically someone kills Norman Kerr. Because obviously Norman Kerr comes back and he's just basically shooting fires. He shoots Ben, but Ben's got a bulletproof vest, so he's okay. And one of the other officers kills Kerr. And PJ realized that the person who's like involved is a police officer who's like higher up. And he's thinking it's one of the superintendents called Paul. 
And Mick is reluctant to get involved with all this. He's like, look, you're crazy. It can't be a police officer behind all of this. And Mick and PJ are trying to talk to Paul. And obviously Paul's like, get the hell out of here. Do you have any proof? I'm your superior. Like, don't be questioning me with this nonsense. And Mick is now saying that there's hard evidence against Paul. There's a disc. And obviously Paul's like, find this disc. I beg you, find this disc. It's not going to have my name on it. Like, bring it on. Pat is like, no, 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 no. It's definitely not Paul. I'm convinced Maggie barely knew him. So why is he going to get involved? And then PJ speaking to uh, someone called Bryce in a pub. And then Bryce is like, you know what? I want to meet you in private. So PJ tells Mick about meeting Bryce in private. PJ goes to the meeting place. He finds Mick there and he finds a car in flames. And he's like, man, Bryce is in the car, man. Well, I don't know what happened. There was a big crash. PJ still wants to solve the case. and wants to look at Maggie's old belongings. Pat still wants to get involved. And he's thinking, okay, something here is not adding up. Because obviously he used to be a police officer. He's using his uh, common sense and he's saying, you know what? Something here that don't add up. Ben is like, look, I want to help. But PJ's like, look, I don't want anyone else to get killed. Ben is talking to Tom because Tom wants to know what's going on. They're trying to call PJ, but he's there's no answer on the telephone. And so PJ's at home and he's asleep. And Mick comes to the house and Mick is like, yeah, you need to get a lock, mate. And then we find out that it was her brother who was the one who killed her and was part of the corruption and the betrayal. It was her own brother. It sounds like you made the right call of uh, watching that episode, to be honest. Uh, that's what it basically was. And Mick is like, and obviously PJ is like, how could you do this to your own sister? And obviously Mick was like, I didn't want to, but she was too in deep with this drug story. He's like, I told her, leave it alone, leave it alone. But he goes, she just wouldn't. So I had to do what I had to do. And he goes, I had to stop her and I had to kill her. And then obviously PJ and Mick are pointing guns at each other. And then it was, uh, and then they start to fight each other. Then Mick, the sniveling coward, has a gun underneath his leg or whatever. Yeah, he had, he, yeah, and then they have a big fight. And then basically Pat comes into the house. He realized what Mick did. He ends up shooting Mick. And then Pat gets cuffed and taken away. PJ apologizes to Paul about accusing him. PJ then says it's time to move on and he gives a framed picture of Maggie to Tom and then it ends with Pat and PJ scattering Maggie's ashes and that was, yeah, the end of that episode. Yeah, I think I did choose well, didn't I? Going with... Uh... Yeah, it sounds like you did. I mean, to, to be fair though, you could tell that this was going to be a great mm, little show mm, mm. even from the first episode. I was too invested in this and I just thought, let me finish this storyline before doing the traditional watch the finale, watch the beginning, middle and end and, and, and things of that nature. But no, this was this was absolutely gripping, absolutely brilliant. The Mick betrayal threw me for a loop as well. It was him all along. And yeah, he got his comeuppance. And yeah, that's how that bit ended. Then it went on for another few seasons and yeah, it had a great run. I think all shows had like a, a good decade on the television. The bill probably had two decades and more. Yeah, good on, good on, good on you guys. And uh, we have to pick between NYPD Blue and Blue Healers. Right, this week was like a tough, tough call for me because automatically Australian gets extra points. Like that's just the way it is, right? But I have to say, NYPD Blue, I think pipped it for me. I, it was just 
very good. I just don't even know, you know, do you know what I mean? Both shows were great today, though. No losers, but NYPD, NYPD Blue pipped it for me. I'm going to go with Blue Healers. Only because I followed that storyline and I thought this was gripping, this was outstanding. But yeah, NYPD Blue, yeah, NYPD Blue was excellent, though. It was an excellent TV show. A real who's who of, 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 of a cast. Really, really good acting. Really, really good. David Schwimmer, like you said, brilliant actor. Absolutely great. Went on to be one of the greatest characters or one of the most iconic characters in TV history in Ross Geller. So yeah, this is, this is a really, really good show. And yeah, an excellent episode, but a long episode. So uh, sit back, relax and enjoy this one, guys. This is a good one. And on that note, we'll bring it to an end. Warm welcome to listeners from Denmark, which means I've completed the Scandinavian set now. I now have listeners from every country (laughs) in Scandinavia now. So Denmark was the only one that was missing. But yes, welcome, Danish listeners. And yeah, appreciate you guys listening. You've got a bunch of episodes that you can catch up to as well. So do check us out. And do continue supporting us. And yeah, we're available wherever you are, whatever platforms that you use. Do listen to us. We appreciate each and every one of you. Any podcast platform you can think of, you should find Yesterday's Capers on there. Turn on your notifications so that you can get new episodes on Fridays or Saturdays. Yesterday's Capers, we're available on socials as well. So you can find us on Instagram at Yesterday's Capers 1. On Twitter, it's Yesterday Capers. On YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Yesterday's Capers. Facebook.com forward slash yesterday's capers. You can find me on the socials on Instagram at Abdullah underscore Molim. You can find me on Twitter at Abdullah Molim, all one word. Give me a holler, give me a shout, and join us next time for another episode of Yesterday's Capers. <laughs>